This episode is brought to you by Awesome CX by Transcom. Awesome CX provides high-touch, personalized customer experience services to consumer brands of any size. Stay tuned for a special offer for Stairway to CEO listeners later in the show. Hello, everyone. It's Lee Green, and welcome back to the Stairway to CEO podcast. It's my mission to bring you real, honest, and unfiltered interviews with some of the most innovative founders and CEOs from all walks of life. We'll talk about their climb to the top, their stumbles along the way, and the steps they took to get them to where they are. So tune in to get inspired, listen to some real talk, and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Lee Green, and welcome back to the show. This is episode 171, and today I sat down with Michael Brukeem, the co-founder and co-CEO of FabFitFun. FabFitFun is the largest women's lifestyle shopping club, redefining the way women discover and indulge in the latest trends. The company's flagship product, the FabFitFun Box, delivers a seasonal assortment of full-size products encompassing beauty, fashion, fitness, wellness, home, and tech. With a blend of expert curation and personalized customization, each box is a delightful surprise featuring a hand-picked selection from both premium and emerging brands. Michael shares his story from growing up in Los Angeles with his older brother and co-founder, Daniel, to building an online media consulting business and developing websites for politicians, to launching a wellness blog and newsletter in 2010, which led to over 150,000 subscribers before launching the first box. We talk about how he's evolved as a leader and grew the company to over 500 people, how FabFitFun has helped launch brands such as Our Place and Unhide, and why it's important to stay level. If you like what you're hearing on the Stairway to CEO podcast, don't forget to click subscribe, leave us an awesome review, and check us out on stairwaytoceo.com. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Michael. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today. I'm excited to hear your story and building FabFitFun. How are you? It's awesome to see you again. I'm doing great, Lee. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. I keep thinking like way back. I think we had coffee in like 2015 or something, and I was probably pitching you Wearaway to invest in it way back in the day. Those were our early days, and it's awesome to see how you've evolved into hosting this show and you know we've come a long way so I'm excited to to chat about it all. Yes, I'm sure things have changed enormously since then. You're still at it and I'm so excited to hear what's been going on. Let's start in the very beginning like where are you from originally? I'm pretty sure you grew up in the LA area. You know, what was childhood like for you? I did grow up in LA, born and raised here and I think a pretty good happy childhood. It was just me and my brother. We grew up in Encino in the valley and my dad's a doctor so i had i had that around me my mom was always kind of super mom and loved los angeles and so with your brother are you the oldest youngest and looking back what kind of like leadership or entrepreneurship stuff went on as a kid anything you can point back to i'm the youngest but we're 13 months apart and we're super close and you know he's he's always going to be part of my story because we actually run FabFitFun together. We're co-founders. We're co-CEOs. We didn't really, as kids, have too many, I'd say, 
kind of joint business ventures, but I think we both had a little entrepreneurial streaks in our own respective ways. I don't know if I, from a young age, thought of myself as being, you know, necessarily like starting businesses, but I like to start things. So I started like a, a school newspaper in fourth grade. I did do a lemonade stand. So I, I mean, I, f- I feel like, you know, that, that sort of instinct was there too. But I was always drawn to media, honestly. And that was actually kind of in my angle into entrepreneurship. Starting newspapers, became the editor of my high school newspaper, was the editorial chair of the Harvard Crimson. That sort of engagement with an audience and kind of like what you're doing here with covering topics, telling stories. And in a lot of ways, that's what we think about, you know, FabFitFun is kind of telling stories through products and, and the founder stories behind them and all sorts of things. So, you know, we'll dig into that too. Definitely. And kind of going back to media, you said you were always drawn to media, but how and when did you learn about media? Like, is there a moment that you can look back to where you're like, oh, that's where it was triggered. I saw this thing and that's what made me fall in love with it. I didn't think of it as media. I just thought of it as I went to the Buckley School, a small private school in Sherman Oaks. And in fourth grade, I don't know, third and fourth grade, I think I, you know, I just like started printing. I, I think I had a printer. I loved technology. I love fiddling around with computers. And I remember early on, I learned about the internet. I logged on to Prodigy. A friend of mine showed me that I could look up sports scores and I was, you know, my head exploded. <laughs> that I wouldn't have to wait for the newspaper the next day to, to see what the stats were. Maybe it was the combination of having access to the internet and having a printer, but I started just putting things into a word processor and, and laying them out. And I called it the Griffin Times. And I don't know how many issues there were. I think maybe like just two pages stapled together. And, and it was kind of a, more of a newsletter that I you know, circulated around, you know, the fourth grade kids. And I don't know, it was, it was just kind of a fun project for me. And um, so I don't know if I, I would have thought of it in the sense of like, oh, this is media. Mm-hmm. But the idea of I have a computer, I can create a newspaper. That sounds like mm. fun. That just kind of struck me. It's interesting, though, the fascination that you had with newspapers, though, specifically, like I'm looking, I'm thinking back and I'm like, oh, yeah, if I had, you know, an uncle or a father or someone that had like really loved opening up the newspaper every morning, and maybe that could have implanted something in my mind of like, oh, that's cool to do, right? Did you have that? Did your parents read the newspaper every morning? I think so. We talked about, I would say that, you know, one thing I appreciate my dad for in particular is whenever we'd have family dinner, we discussed stuff in the world. And even from a young age, we you know, talked to me about what was happening in the world. And maybe we were like a news oriented kind of family in some ways. And I was always just inclined towards kind of being like a little bit of an information junkie. I love to read some fiction, but actually a lot of nonfiction, you know, even from a young age, I'd read, you know, biographies, Benjamin Franklin's biography or, or whatnot. And I think the idea of, you know, I don't know, I guess the power of the written word struck me from a young age somehow that's what caught my eye in fourth grade, that there was this void. There was no newspaper for the fourth graders. And so there had to be one. (laughs) That's cool. Were there any challenges that you faced growing up? You know, some people have been bullied as a kid, uh, had health issues. Are there any challenges looking back on your childhood that you had overcome? Of course. I mean, there's always challenges. I actually think that I was a pretty resilient kid. And in a lot of ways, I didn't have anything too tough. And only later in my life did I kind of really kind of come to understand that. And, you know, in some ways, the last handful of years, one thing my brother's been very public about is actually that he had cancer. And, you know, this this happened soon after uh, I got married and just at the beginning of COVID. And so that was probably like one of the more tough 
adversities to hit our family and me and my brother working closely together as co-CEOs of FabFitFun, et cetera. You know, it kind of reorients your perspective and some things that, you know, happen in childhood just end up feeling maybe smaller. And by and large, I felt like, you know, I had pretty up and to the right kind of trajectory in childhood and did really well in school, did really well, went to great college, great, like went to law school and, you know, et cetera. So things were pretty smooth and I, I feel pretty lucky for it. Absolutely. And so what were some of the early jobs that you had in high school or early years of college? I think I, once upon a time, I tried to make a fake ID. I don't know if it was a job. <laughs> may or may have not shared those techniques with certain friends. That was probably the most illicit thing that I did as a high schooler. I worked in a hospital. My dad was, I did a summer internship at Encino Tarzana Hospital. I was in the pharmacy. So delivering kind of, you know, to the different rooms in the hospital. That was in kind of early kind of professional experience. Which, by the way, I don't know if you've seen that hospital recently, but it's getting like a total makeover. There's just like a ton of construction over there. I'm over in the valley, by the way. I'm in Woodland Hills. Oh, really? <laughs> so oh nice. I've actually been to that hospital once. Oh, <laughs> my friends just opened this amazing new restaurant in Woodland Hills. So you got to check it out. What is it? It's the, uh, is it Casalina? Yes, Casalina, exactly. I have been watching that. I on Instagram or so, yeah, because I saw it. I woke, I like drive by that all the time, and I'm like, that looks like a really amazing space. I think they just had like their friends and family. Yes, kind of. They just opened like last week. week. So. Yeah, I'm so excited to go. And if you're gonna come over here, let me know. I couldn't make it out. I didn't have the occasion to get out to Woodland Hills last weekend, but I, you know, now I have a reason to go. Now I have two reasons to go. Yeah. It looks beautiful. It looks like such a beautiful restaurant and the branding and everything. It's just so gorgeous. And I'm so excited. So my friend and I have been eyeing this restaurant in our neighborhood and we're excited to check it out. It's so funny you bring yeah, it up. They're top notch. They've, they've done some great things before. And so, you know, happy to give them a shout out. Check out Casalina and Woodland Hills. Yeah. Super excited about it. Can't wait to check it out. Amazing. So you worked in a hospital. My first college internship was in Senator Dianne Feinstein's office on the Hill in Washington, D.C. So oh, wow. Was, and, you know, shockingly, she's still a senator. She's, I think, one of our elder statesmen in, in America. So that was also kind of early on. That's a really cool, interesting job. And I know you went to Harvard and Stanford Law School. What were some of the experiences that you had? Did you work while you were also in college? I started in the company FabFitFun with my co-founders, the predecessor version of it. We started in our senior year in college. Before that, I was really committed to, you know, the kind of that, that newspaper path. I was the editorial chair of the Harvard Crimson, which was an incredible experience for me. The editorial chair is kind of the head of the opinion section of the newspaper. There was a lot of stuff going on at the time. In some ways, I was there for maybe the beginning of cancel culture, I think. Larry Summers was the president of Harvard University at the time. He made, you know, some a handful of different things, including making some comments that were, you know, at the time proven to be controversial and was kind of taken down by the faculty. And so, you know, we had, as the editorial chair, I kind of front row seat to that, got to interview him a bunch of times, different faculty members would try to kind of drop, you know, little nuggets of tidbits that they wanted to to steer our opinion in one direction or another to us. And so that, that was a cool, you know, experience of seeing how stories at the root and how they get, you know, amplified into national stories and in some ways go viral and and you know different perspectives people can have and how how things get covered by the media that was a lot of my college life kind of revolved around my work on the crimson i wrote a thesis on ethical consumption this in a lot of ways was probably like the most clear kind of predecessor to going into e-commerce and starting fabfitfun where 
the research I did was actually with a trade economist. His name was Michael Hiscox, and he was trying to prove that there was alternative ways to improve labor standards and environmental standards outside of negotiating them into trade agreements. And so what we did was actually created some fake brands. We put them on eBay and we described the characteristics of the products of those brands as having been created with certain labor standards or under certain environmental conditions. And we'd see how bidding behavior on those products on eBay would change based on how we would describe those attributes. So that was in, in some ways, we had to kind of create a company in order to do that research. And both of these were kind of foreshadowing what we eventually, what I did with, at the time, my initial co-founder, Adam Katz, my senior year in college, we started a digital agency initially doing political new media consulting, you know, really uh, interesting, circuitous route. But basically, he had become friends with someone who eventually became an advisor to Rudy Giuliani, who eventually decided to run for president in the 2008 cycle. And at that time, there were no, there was no such thing as experts in online political media consulting, etc. And so it was not such an outlandish idea to ask some college kids to build a website. And so they asked my friend who asked me to help him. And, and we, in our senior year, started building websites for politicians. And that was kind of the beginning in a weird topsy-turvy story of, of how we ended up starting FabFitFun. So you went from building websites for politicians to FabFitFun. That, that's a curve. <laughs> so, <laughs> But I know you also started Charlie. So can you kind of talk about your journey to starting your first company, Charlie, and how you spun out from that to FabFitFun? Yeah. So this agency that I'm describing before it was Charlie was Opera New Media. And Opera New Media was the banner under which we did work initially in politics. And so Rudy was a client of ours. We had other clients, you know, at this time, this was Rudy Giuliani, America's mayor, coming off the glow of, he was really a hero in, in, in that kind of post 9-11 era. And we built some really innovative stuff for him. We, uh, a lot of it didn't get launched. We built social network online, distributed fundraising, et cetera. These were all really innovative tools. If you actually go back to the the history of, of you know, media and politics and online and politics, you know, the first presidential campaign to ever really do anything interesting was actually the Howard Dean campaign in 04. That was the first time the internet had any, you know, non-zero impact on a presidential election. And he was the first candidate to actually experiment with it in, in a meaningful way. So the 08 cycle, everyone knew they had to do something, but they didn't know what to do. So a lot of college kids were just kind of adopted into these, either directly into the campaigns, or in our case, we started a consulting firm that was hired by, amongst others, Rudy's presidential campaign. Within that consulting firm, you know, we built products, we gave advice, we built websites, we did media buys. And that was kind of my, in some ways, school of hard knocks, learning everything to do with the internet and technology and building, you know, online products and doing online marketing. I actually tell people that politics is actually a really great place when you're in your early in your career, because people who've spent a lot of time in politics, you know, eventually will drift away and pursue maybe more lucrative paths. And the young people really get a lot of responsibility. And, and we got a ton of responsibility. It was a really, really interesting opportunity for us. But we didn't seek out to build a political new media consulting firm. It was just kind of the first opportunity that fell in our laps. But within that agency, we started building some of our own products. And we eventually started attracting, I'll, I'll tell you how, but we eventually started attracting a client base in Los Angeles, where I grew up. This operation kind of started in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And 
one thing we told ourselves was we don't want to only do client work. We want to build some of our own products and and services. And so we had this, I don't know if I'd call it an outlandish idea, but it wasn't a great idea, but it was an okay idea. We built a social network for babies. It was called Totspot. And so this is what we would do as kind of our side project as we were picking up these political clients. And we launched Totspot, I believe it was in 2009. And it was a place for parents to keep track of their kids' growth charts and milestones and share photos privately. This is in a time where private online social network privacy just didn't really exist. You know, I think when Facebook first launched, you could just go to anyone's profile or go to anyone's wall and write whatever you wanted on it. And we thought there was an opportunity. At this time, MySpace was actually the biggest social network in the world. So we launched Hotspot. It got a lot of attention. It actually got a decent kind of user base. We got, you know, at the time, the biggest feather in your cap you could get upon launch was getting covered by TechCrunch. We got a post by Mike Darrington. We got really excited. We ended up getting covered by the New York Times. And this all caught the attention of the folks at MySpace. And they invited us in. We had some discussions about a potential acquisition. They told us all the moms are on MySpace and they wanted to offer Totspot to the MySpace moms. We didn't end up coming to an agreement, but they saw the work we were doing on the political consulting side and told us that they had a huge number of celebrity clients who wanted people to build websites like the sites that we were building for politicians, sites that could represent their personal brands that would be an extension of them beyond MySpace. So that was kind of the beginning of Charlie, which was in some ways a rebrand of Opera New Media. It was our new face working in LA and we picked up a roster of just incredible clients, more in the Hollywood entertainment world. Our first client was actually Rachel Zoe, the celebrity stylist, remains you know, a good friend. Her and her husband, Roger, just awesome people. We built their first, we helped them start the Zoe Report, which was essentially their kind of version of, let's call it like a daily candy in fashion. And from there, picked up a bunch of other kind of celebrity entertainment clients. And and so this is how we went. I often joke, we went from Giuliani to Giuliana because Giuliani, Rudy was you know, our first client in politics. And eventually we partnered with Juliana Rancic based on the work that we had done with the Zoe Report as a, as a kind of template to launch FabFitFun. And you know, initially FabFitFun was one of several projects and concepts within our digital agency. We knew that we wanted to, again, build our own websites and properties and products. And, and so FabFitFun was another stab at that, we started it in partnership with Juliana Rancic and launched it initially as a media property. So we didn't actually launch with the boxes. We started just as a blog and a newsletter, launched that in 2010 and built a really great audience. What we saw as an opportunity was bringing now, I mean, you know, everyone talks about wellness and self-care. It's kind of ubiquitous. It's all around us. But in 2010, this was kind of cutting edge, <laughs> you know, thinking about wellness, thinking about taking care of yourself. And and we thought we had an interesting angle, like kind of mixing wellness and self-care with a little bit of the red carpet, a little bit of that. Juliana Rancic was the host of E! News. So she had access to all the celebrity secrets and what they used in terms of their beauty regimens or what their fashion secrets were, et cetera. And so FabFitFun was a place to share that, make it, democratize it, make it accessible to everyone. And that was kind of when we planted a flag and built that brand. 
And that was also a time when like blogging and that was like when you did that, right? Like that's like the height, I think, or the peak maybe of when everybody was really getting into blogging and writing. And you're right. Those topics were people were hungry for it. They were looking all over the internet to to learn more about health and wellness. And yeah, this was probably there was a big kind of mommy blogger movement. There was a lot mm-hmm. of blogs. We started Fat Fun initially in that in that kind of newsletter space. There was Daily Candy was probably the most prominent. We we helped get the Zoe report off the ground. There were a handful of others, Thrillist or Urban Daddy or Vital Juice. You know, these names are just coming back to me right now. We were kind of in that space and, you know, we learned really well how to get people onto our newsletter and how to monetize an email list and and how to produce incredible content. It's funny because it's kind of come full circle. And now newsletters are in some ways all the rage again with, you know, the rise of Substack and and so forth. But you know, I think email is an interesting, it's it's kind of like the cockroach of the internet. It'll, it'll never go away. It's a truly open platform. You know, you're not, well, you know, you're somewhat beholden to the algorithms of the email service provider, whoever that might be for whoever's inbox you're trying to reach. But we thought it was a great way to build a connection, build a relationship with an audience. Um, We're sharing awesome stories of wellness and the kind of behind the scenes of Hollywood. We built that audience for a couple of years and eventually said, what can we uniquely provide to this audience? And we had also kept up our consulting agency. And so we had been learning a lot about e-commerce. We'd seen, you know, a handful of these kind of different at the time, this kind of early nascent space of subscription commerce, the, the idea of creating essentially online subscriptions, online memberships. And we thought we would have a really unique approach to it. So that's kind of the thinking that went into FabFitFun. So how many, I guess, hits were you getting on the website each month? Or like, what were the metrics that you remember? And how many years did you guys kind of spend building out this blog and newsletter before you decided to introduce products to the business? We launched... FabFitFun in 2010. And it definitely had, you know, a launch and a relaunch and a relaunch because we were learning, we were learning on the fly a little bit. And if I could recall, I think we got the email list up to maybe about 150 or 200,000 emails by the time we got to March 2013, which was the launch of the first ever FabFitFun box. And between those two points, you know, we experimented a lot with the content, with our voice, with you know, the topics we were covering, we tried a couple other things, e-commerce related, that didn't go so well. But we kind of measured twice and cut once with with the box. And we, we made a bet that in particular, what we saw were these kind of beauty subscription boxes popping up. Time was kind of Birchbox and Ipsy. And they were really focused on bringing samples to their customers, beauty samples as a means of discovery. We thought that they clearly had struck a chord. I mean, there was, you know, consumer resonance. Those companies were growing fast. But a lot of the, when we looked at those things, what we saw was less a sampling experience and more frankly, a shopping experience. I think a lot of their early days, they were very focused on how to get someone to convert from trying a sample in a box to buying the full-size product in an e-commerce store. And what we saw was people just getting so psyched to open up a box, to get new products and to try new things. And we told ourselves, if we make a few adjustments to this, right? If we, one, let's not think of this as just samples. Let's see if we can actually send people real products, full-size products. If we don't limit this to beauty, but just an overall shopping experience, we were kind of focused on kind of bringing to life the curational focus of FabFitFun itself, which had this kind of self-care and wellness angle, but would talk about 
glamour and beauty and fashion and fitness and home and all, kind of all of these lifestyle spaces. So how can we encapsulate that in a box? And then, you know, when we put those two things together, we kind of got to a, a more expensive box. You know, you can't just make things more expensive. So we also decided to go to a, a seasonal cadence, both because it was the frequency with which we could actually keep up and do what we wanted to do. But also it made it digestible to be a member and committed at the our launch price point was $50 a box. We thought it would be reasonable and, and mass market for someone to spend, call it $200 a year to get, you know, over $1,000 worth of products. And in a lot of ways, that kind of core value proposition has held up pretty strongly now 10 years into our boxes. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Customer service and call centers are rarely topics that people get excited about. But Awesome CX is simply different. Their inclusive culture rooted in wellness and fun means that their teams are encouraged to be their best selves personally and professionally by providing them with everything from mental health and healthcare resources to career development. And regardless of the size of your business, Awesome CX is uniquely positioned to support you throughout your growth. They work with some of the fastest growing startups like FabFitFun, Carbon38, Lettuce Grow, Mudwater, and so many more. Want to see it to believe it? Just email me directly at lee, L-E-E, at stairwaytoceo.com to request to join one of their coffee chats where you can meet with their amazing team and witness the agent engagement yourself. You'll be so impressed. I can't wait for you to learn more about Awesome CX to make your brand's customer experience awesome. Thank you so much to our incredible sponsors for supporting the Stairway to CEO podcast. Now let's get back to the show. It really is a lot of stuff in that box. <laughs> Thanks for sending a box, by the way. But yeah, there's a lot in there. I was shocked. And when you do it, when you look at the price point, you're right. I think it's like $60 now per box. It's still a lot of stuff. And the value yeah. really feels like, whoa, you're getting a ton of stuff. And yeah, it's just really crazy because you're right. There's a lot of full-size products in there. There's a lot of brands I've never seen or heard of. So it's kind of this mix of like shopping and discovery. And it's just, yeah, a lot of stuff, like I said. So it just feels like there's a ton of value in there. I'm curious, you know, the business has grown so much. I know that you guys also are creating some of your own brands and maybe even some of your own, your own products. So I'd love to hear how you kind of either transitioned to that or how you thought about that with the business and kind of the business model too, right? Because you've got the consumer side that pays a subscription fee, but I'm sure there's this ton going on with the brands and even just the amount of subscribers you have today and how that helps maybe brands get in front of some amazing new customers. Yeah. I mean, so the key insight for us, you know, again, was this was a new way to shop, right? And people were buying e-commerce was was a thing and Amazon existed and people were buying things, but there were certain things that were just harder to buy online or or weren't necessarily something you'd search for. And how could you create this more discovery-oriented shopping experience? In the way, you know, I often analogize FabFitFun to, you know, when I was a kid, I, I'd subscribe to a lot of magazines and I'd kind of run to my mailbox to get a magazine because the content wasn't all over the place, right? And there was this excitement to see what's inside of it and and to open it up and kind of learn about the world, you know, through that magazine. And in a lot of ways, I think that the early days of FabFitFun, this, we recreated that excitement, that idea of like something that arrived at your doorstep. You didn't know exactly, you know, every item in it. And you'd kind of learn about new ways to take care of yourself. In our case, that was kind of the, the curational kind of theme or 
or to make your, and, and, you know, we think of self-care in this kind of broader sense, right? Fashion is a form of self-care. Making your place look cool is a form of self-care. It's not easy. People get very busy with life and to make yourself feel kind of up to date or on trend or, or kind of with it, you know, that's work. We try to make that easier for people, make that accessible for people and, and give them that little lift in their day by kind of curating a, an assortment for them. And so from a business model perspective, we stumbled on something really incredible, which is just as much as consumers wanted to try new cool things and beyond trend, et cetera, there's this kind of nonstop world of innovation amongst brands and founders. And, and you know, we, we were kind of in the early days of the kind of Shopify movement and the digital native vertical brand movement, et cetera. But for brands, accessing customers is extraordinarily expensive and people are paying huge amounts of money for spending advertising on Facebook and Google and so forth. And in some ways, what we came up with through FabFitFun was an alternative way to tell your story as a brand. And that was really just to get your product in consumers' hands. And the trade, what we kind of what we ask for from brands is just give this consumer just an incredible deal and they'll try your product. And consumers have a much higher tolerance for trying new things if they know they're getting a deal. And so that's really where FabFitFun kind of sits in the world. We introduce consumers to awesome new products and awesome new brands. We do so in a you know customizable and increasingly personalized way. And we help brands find the consumers to try their products and tell their stories to. In matching those two things up, we're able to deliver just an enormous amount of value. And that's why you know in each box you're getting often north of $200, even $300 worth of retail value. And in products across, you know, beauty, fashion, fitness, wellness, home, technology, we've definitely innovated on the model. We started where there was basically everyone getting the same set of products. We had 2,000 people getting our first boxes in 2013. You know, we have well over millions of boxes going out now. And so, you know, now the, the surprise kind of comes in the in the form of a prefix menu that members are able to, you know, kind of choose let's call it like an appetizer, an entree, a dessert. <laughs> They're choosing across these categories to create their own boxes. They can choose to be surprised to the extent that they want to, or they can just make the surprise, the moment of that unveiling of that kind of menu for them. And then we've added a lot of additional kind of shopping experiences that are you know member-only perks. We have this incredible community of members that come together in our member-only forums and, and talk about everything in their lives. We've kind of evolved into this this broader kind of community and and kind of shopping club, full ecosystem. And then you alluded to this as well, but you know we've we've seen opportunities to help launch brands because you know we, we've seen so many things come through and we've identified some white space and you know partnered with operators to help launch new brands. We we have an incredible partnership with the founding team of Our Place, for example, which is a you know cookware brand best known for their Always Pan and and now recently launched the Wonder Oven, you know, some incredible products. You should check them out. We've also launched Unhide, which is a faux fur brand. The mission of Unhide is to end the fur trade. And we have an incredible set of faux fur products that feel just as nice, arguably better than the real thing. Everything from blankets to wearables to a dog bed, some incredible products there. But, you know, it's it's built on the back of we have deep insights into what consumers like, what they don't like. And where we can, we help partner with the right teams and operators to, to bring those to life. And that's sometimes we'll get you know more involved, but the, the bread and butter of FabFun is really just telling those stories and introducing people to those products. 
And so for the brands that are listening, wondering how do I get into one of those boxes, what's the answer? What does it take? What do you look for in brands, whether it's a brand that wants to launch for the first time or it's a brand that's been a while around and, and they're just looking to get into millions of people's hands? We're always looking for some spark of true innovation or differentiation. And so I, I think what's going to make any brand or product successful long run is you, you have to own the consumer for, for something unique and something differentiated that you've tapped into. And so we have a ton of ways to kind of learn from our audience when we get pitched different ideas to validate those themes and ideas. We have a pretty robust kind of consumer insights effort that helps us you know, make sure that the products we're bringing to our consumers are relevant. But in terms of a brand, I mean, we want to hear from you. And there's, you go to the footer at fabfifun.com, you can submit your pitches. We often are finding, you know, undiscovered gems. We even, you know, occasionally will work with companies pre-launch in helping tell their stories for the first time. For the brands that we work with, this ends up being kind of like a Super Bowl commercial. They They get in the hands of hundreds of thousands of consumers and those consumers are doing unboxings and we're doing our marketing on top of that and create a bunch of content. And so it's, it's a really kind of unique and special moment. What are some of the success stories you've had, especially for the ones that you've launched? Do you have any kind of case studies or success stories that you can kind of point to with the brands and how they've been successful in the boxes? I think in terms of the ones that we've taken more of a joint venture approach, you know, I mentioned Unhide, I mentioned Our Place, but broadly, just in terms of just brands that we've kind of grown up with in a lot of ways. We've had, you know, Spongel is a fan favorite now. It's incredible, like kind of sponge loofah with your body wash embedded in it. So as you squeeze it, it just kind of replenishes and has beautiful scents. We've worked, you know, in our early boxes, companies like Cult Gaia and MeUndies, they were featured in our early boxes. Now they've blossomed up and become huge brands, iconic brands in a lot of ways. And every... Foreo, which is an incredible skin beauty tool. We helped launch them when they were first coming out to the market. Uh, I believe that was in 2018, 20, 2019. We've done tons of launches. We have even more coming up. You know, I, I'm always careful not to reveal. We're getting pretty close to announcing some of the things in our upcoming fall box, which I'm really excited for. That's great. When you say joint venture approach, are you taking equity in some of the companies that you're helping to launch? Yes. So sometimes we are effectively acting as a co-founder of new companies. And so we have this incredible platform. Sometimes companies are coming to us and asking us, how can you help us stand out even more? And that's something that we've started to do. We, you know, we have an incredible platform and, and a set of capabilities across everything from marketing, from consumer insights to performance, to creative marketing, all the way through the supply chain. We have a pretty robust sourcing and product development team all the way towards fulfillment. We do our own fulfillment in-house and started doing it for certain partner brands, et cetera. And obviously we have the trust of our community and, and we can bring to them incredible new concepts that haven't existed before. Those joint ventures have been you know, proven to be like a really interesting kind of experiment for us that we're gradually going to be leaning more into. That's great. And so, you know, you've had this business for a while. How many members are on your team now? How big is the team? And how have you evolved as a leader or grown personally and professionally? So we're somewhere around 500 full-time folks. And how have I evolved as a leader? In a lot of ways, I think you have to constantly relearn your job. Every year, 
getting into that mode of being a constantly kind of working on yourself, being a self-learner and being, you know, in some ways your own harshest critic. I think that's really essential to leading a company. The last three years or so have just been some of the most unpredictable and challenging business environments to, to operate in. When you think of the curveballs of COVID, dealing with remote work and pandemics and all of the related kind of supply chain issues that that came out of that, you know, those are some interesting curveballs. So you've got to keep learning and and teach the team how to keep evolving, keep learning. You know, we one of our core values is to elevate and evolve. I think that's one of the things that I've really taken to heart as a leader. And so what are the things that you do to work on yourself? When you say work on yourself, what are some of those things? Do you work with a coach, you know, and also being in business with your brother? How do you work on yourself? What are some of the things that you do? I have had a coach for most of the last seven or eight years. I've currently created, I'm not currently working with a coach right now, but to perhaps bring that back into the foreground. But reading books, talking to other folks, I meet regularly with peers and other CEOs. And, and I think that's often the best way to learn. Try to find people that you know a little bit ahead of you who've done the things that you're trying to do in your own way. I mean, obviously we're we were an N of one type of company. I don't, you know, no one's gone in a quote unquote subscription box to this point. And we, you know, who knows what's beyond. We're trying to define that and establish that. And, and we have our own version of what that what that looks like that we're really excited about. But people have innovated, have scaled businesses, have dealt with other challenges. And I think really surrounding yourself with peer groups that you can talk to and learn from, I think has been really critical. And what about fundraising? How much have you guys raised so far? And what has that process been like for you? What are some of the learnings that you have from raising money? We've raised north of $100 million. And I think each stage has been really different. You know, our first fundraise was for a long time. I think people just didn't understand what we were doing. It took a while, but you know, thankfully we, we were bootstrapping out of a, a digital agency. So we had some income to kind of keep pushing and proving ourselves. And we actually didn't raise our first outside capital until we were doing pretty darn close to about almost $10 million in recurring revenue on the subscription boxes. From there, we had a really great kind of cash flow dynamic to the business. So we were able to scale pretty to pretty significant size and raise the fairly large series A in in 2019. And you know, that round was different because you know we're raising a lot bigger sums of capital from a huge different pool of players. I think the fundraising environment is also constantly changing. So you know, advice and what worked for us in 2019 and 2015 and 2016, those were the, the times where where we raised equity capital. I think this, you know, current environment, I'm, I'm also an angel investor. So I've done tons of investments in newer companies. And now is a more, I'd say, challenging fundraising environment in general. There was a lot of capital out in the market in, in 2021 and 2020, 2021, and even beginning of 2022. And since then, rates are up, valuations are down. These are business cycles. There, there's always more frothy times, more scarce times. And I think good companies prove themselves in both the frothy and the scarce times. And there's different lessons and different things to lean into. I think right now, trying to really you know stretch your dollar is important because you know the capital is more expensive, proving how you can do more with less, which is always it's always a good idea for sure to be able to do good more with less, but also in capital abundant environments, you know, sometimes you want to kind of go faster, you can make more mistakes because the capital is there to kind of underwrite those mistakes. And if you don't do it, your competition might do it. So you have to kind of evaluate the field and evaluate those dynamics and play the game that is being presented to you. So I know you have a fund, Green Meadow Ventures. Is that where you do your angel investments through or is that a totally different type of fund? What's the criteria for that? 
Green Meadow is me and my brother's family office. We've done about 100 angel investments, you know, over the last decade or so. And so we decided to kind of professionalize it a little bit under the brand of Green Meadow. We've occasionally brought in outside LP capital into certain deals. And so that's kind of when the opportunities kind of outstrip our capacity to do it just as, as private investors. We'll bring folks who are around us who trust our judgment in making investment decisions into certain deals with us too. So, so we've been able to scale our ability to back great founders and back great companies that we see. You mentioned to me before we got started, just how much you enjoy talking to founders. And you know that's something that to me, something so thrilling about the beginnings of companies. And so we love to look, look at the early stages and help people start things. We do that obviously through FabFitFun and those kind of joint ventures that I described. And then oftentimes there are things that are outside of kind of the purview of the CPG consumer products, women's lifestyle space. And we still feel like we have something to contribute and can help share our kind of operating experience and, and background and deploy a little bit of capital. And so we've had a lot of fun doing it. And you guys have made some great investments. I saw some brands on there, Magic Spoon, Reformation, Lemon Perfect. I'm a fan of Yanni. Yanni's been on the show. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, Lots Yanni's of energy. Yeah, yeah. Incredible. Unbelievable. I mean, you should see his investor updates. <laughs> oh my gosh. I would love to see one of those. I bet it's just like the prime example of like how you should do an update. They are incredibly enthusiastic and deservedly so. He's built an incredible company and yeah, we, we've been really, really lucky to back some incredible founders. We hope we can continue to do that. So I guess before we wrap up, you know, I would love to hear a story of a challenge that you've had in building this business. Obviously, COVID's been a challenge for everyone. There's all these kind of like obvious challenges that everybody's faced. But what's been something unique to you in your journey in building this business? I mentioned this at the outset. And so a lot happened all at once, I'd say in the first half of 2020. So I, I got married in March of 2020. Oh, wow. Was your wedding canceled or what happened? No, no. My wedding happened. So it was March 7th, 2020. Oh, wow. The world shut down a week later, less than a week later. So we, we got very lucky that we we had that in, in some ways for all of our friends. It was kind of like the closing party of the world. <laughs> right. That was obviously a beautiful occasion. In the aftermath of it, we had COVID and my brother got pretty sick. With He got you know this cancer diagnosis. Thank God he's 100% better. Several years now, cancer-free. But having both my co-founder and my co-CEO, my brother, we're 13 months apart, super close, I think. And then add to that, the kind of the COVID overlay, that kind of like a kind of gloomy cloud yeah. overhead in terms of all the normal kind of life disruptions that, you know, people were, were dealing with. And we had this kind of added to the mix at an unexpected age, you know, obviously a lot of people get affected by cancer, but this certainly wasn't something we were expecting in, in our kind of mid thirties. That was a challenge to pair that with just all of the usual challenges of running a business. And, and you know, I think that was seven, eight years into our partnership already. And so we had uh, gotten into this kind of yin and yang of being co-CEOs that I think we both got really comfortable with. And and it was a, you know, a shock to the system. I had to re- yeah. learned a whole new way to to operate and to be there for, for my family. And Dan had to deal with all the stuff that he had to deal with. Right. When was that? When did he get the diagnosis? And how did he find out that he had cancer? It was in May of 2020. We have really that thick of COVID. Yeah. Yeah. Right around the corner there. And so that whole, I think I'm, as with all things, you know, I think in the rearview mirror, you become stronger for it. And I think we're stronger as a family. I think, you know, not only my relationship with my brother, 
But in a lot of ways, getting married and then having to deal with that as a, as a couple also really kind of forges your marriage bond in a new way because we were also, you know, spending every minute together, COVID, at home, right. all, all of that stuff. And I think it's made us stronger as a company too. In a lot of ways, we can deal with these types of leadership. And now you have a 10-month-old and you're a dad. So <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And on the, on the back end of that, I, I welcome my amazing daughter, Rose, to the world in 2022. And congratulations. How's fatherhood? Fatherhood is amazing. I highly recommend it. I guess I'm pronatalist. Really, really enjoying it. This is incredible. It's been incredible for, for me, for my wife. And we love being parents. Awesome. Congratulations. And I guess what's some final advice you have for entrepreneurs that are tuning in or thinking about taking the leap into entrepreneurship? Maybe they're in the trenches right now having a tough time, whether it's fundraising or some stuff is hitting the fan, right? Happens every day. So what advice do you have for entrepreneurs? And then what's next for FabFitFun? What can we see coming soon? Advice for entrepreneurs, keep powering through. I think if you're really committed to it, it's an incredible privileged to be able to run a business. And there's definitely dark times in every business. We had several, many, many moments of like, oh my God, you're on top of the world. And then you're like, (laughs) yeah, "Yeah, like, oh my God, what I can't believe we're dealing with this now. And are we going to make it? That was definitely, you know, a question that we we had we had those questions come up. And I think finding a way to stay level is really, really critical as an entrepreneur. How do you stay level? How does that work? How do you do it? Meditate? Work out? <laughs> Meditate. Working out is honestly a really good tip. I really believe that, actually. I, th- I think, obviously, just, you know, there's the health aspect of it, but it's also just something physical that I think being an entrepreneur can be very mentally taxing. And so, you know, in some ways, by just doing something physical, it's meditative in its own way. It brings you to the present. I think whenever I've stopped working out, I think I've kind of, like, that's what's missing. So if you're not working out and you're an entrepreneur, you know, I highly encourage you to do it. And, and then what's next for FabFitFun? We're really excited. What people, I, I think from the outside looking in, that's hard to see is approximately half of our business now is transactional e-commerce where our members who are subscribers are shopping with us and seeing us as a destination to buy new products, find new brands, et cetera. And the biggest thing that we're looking forward to is kind of this evolution from FabFitFun, the subscription box, to FabFitFun, the shopping club, in some sense. It's a broader shopping ecosystem. There's different concepts of membership that we will have as part of that club, but also access points where you could have an experience with FabFitFun, maybe without being a box subscriber. And so it's a little bit of a teaser for the world, but we, in the world of value and discount shopping, we think we we have this really, really special and unique position. A lot of discount shopping is associated with liquidation, being at the end of the product life cycle, something that's at the end of the season. Or like bulk food, like Costco. Yeah, or right? bulk. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And FabFitFun though is decidedly at the other end of the spectrum, right? We're known for introducing people to cool new things and you're getting an incredible deal. And so, you know, the format of a box is one way to present that, but just that concept of, hey, I'm you know open to trying something new. I want it. I want something cool and you know undiscovered in my life. I'm going to go check it out at FabFitFun and see what it has in store for me. We're, we're going to create new ways for people to check us out, so to speak. So you're thinking outside the box. We are always thinking outside the box. <laughs> no, 
Unintended. Yeah. I mean, we love our boxes. We've, we've done some awesome stuff. The, the box isn't, is not going anywhere. It's getting bigger, better, better. It's fully customizable. You can choose every single one of your products. We're doing some really cool collabs and drops in the form of the boxes as well. We, we just launched our limited edition Harris Hilton Summer of Sliving box cool. just a week ago. And, you know, has some incredible products in it. I mentioned, you know, the upcoming fall box is going to have some amazing items in it. So for our box subscribers, you're going to continue to see that keep getting bigger and better as well. You know, this is like real true entrepreneurship. I feel like you guys have really taken something that for maybe some other people who would have built this business as just a box with a bunch of cool things in it. You guys have created this as like a platform for so many other things. It's just amazing to see how it's like spun out and it can, I see the possibilities of like where you're going in this direction with the Paris Hilton thing. And then this direction with the, you know, shopping club. And I'm like, wow, mind blown. I mean, it's just so many opportunities. And I think that that's, just, I don't know, true entrepreneurship. You can turn something into so many amazing things. One thing that's great into many. I don't know. I'm fascinated. I think it's great because I think a lot of times we see businesses and there's a lot of focus on one thing, which is awesome. You've been at this for like 13 years and it's been able to spin out into so many amazing things. I think that's really interesting. Thank you, Lee. I, I appreciate that. I mean, I, I think with any business, there's definitely this challenge that I think both my brother and I see is like, you know, what's next? We're, we're always thinking like how to evolve, what's next? The box itself wasn't even the first thing, right? It was the first the newsletter and before yeah, that the digital, a- exactly. digital agency. Because the nature of the way that the box came up was kind of also at that time being on the hunt for like kind of what's next. So I think that's kind of ingrained in kind of our DNA and our culture to, to think about like how to continuously kind of evolve and It definitely is for you. Because even when I think back to our first coffee meeting, one of the things that stuck out, and I don't remember what it was, but you were so, you had so much like conviction and you were amped up about like some new technology or like something (laughs) new. And you had like this crazy big vision for something. And I was like, this guy gets like super excited about these, you know, new and exciting things. Oh my gosh, he's got so much energy. And so I just remember you kind of always being interested in the coolest newest thing even outside of just like product right it's technology it's it's so many things so anyways that kind of stuck with me and i was like you definitely are entrepreneur to the core i think uh thank you lee and hopefully a lot of your listeners who are you know thinking about it i, I think there's a you know glorification of entrepreneurship too so i, I always want to you know kind of be careful about that because there's both an incredible it's a, it's a kind of privilege to run a company there's a lot of ton of responsibility that comes along with it a lot of times tot spot didn't make it <laughs> you well, know? yeah well there is a lot of privilege though there's a lot of privilege involved in running a business and especially in LA and having fundraised i mean i remember i was at launchpad and watching these companies try to fundraise and they you know were lucky to have a network with sam helping them rough fundraise and stuff and i'm thinking it was really hard for me to fundraise i didn't have wealthy family or friends to pull from i had to meet strangers and try to convince them to invest in my business like it's really tough if you don't have that network. And I was living in LA at the time, right? Imagine if I wasn't living there. Yeah. So it's really, it really, you know, I used to say it's a rich kid sport. It kind of is in a lot of ways. It's definitely a privilege, I think, to be able to take the risk to to build your own business. Totally. hundred percent. And for the listeners out there, I think if you are working on something, I think kudos to you. Not easy. Not easy, but it'll be a great learning experience and and you'll come out better for it, I think. Absolutely. Huge learning experience. Well, thank you so much, Michael, for joining me on the show and helping share your story about building FabFitFun. Congratulations on all your success. And thanks again for joining us. 
Thanks for having me, Lee. I really appreciate it. Have a good one. Thank you so much for listening to the Stairway to CEO podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Lee Green. And if you have any burning business questions, please feel free to reach us at www.stairwaytoceo.com. We'd love to hear from you. And if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to the show, tell your friends, leave us a review, and follow us on Instagram at Stairway to CEO. Until next time, guys, keep on climbing.